I have more than expended and observed the quarantine parameters with Kathy. Total of 17 days between the two of us overlapping and mine the last 12 and um, so I feel comfortable about that but I don't recommend getting this I'm, uh, I'm uh, weak as a kitten right now and and so if I say something or do something that's weird then maybe that is it we're in a series of Lord's Supper messages titled The Sevenfold Ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you'd make your way to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, The Sevenfold Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in the first message, we looked at the places in the book of Revelation where the phrase quote, the seven spirits of God are recorded, and it's recorded a few times, three or four, four, I think, in the book of Revelation, where it says the seven spirits of God. No, that does not mean that the Godhead consists of nine members, Father, Son, and seven Holy Spirits, but almost certainly it is an illusion taken from Isaiah 11 and verse 2 where the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of power, of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Up until this series... I thought, not having ever studied, ever studied this text in great detail, that the Spirit of God was being described in those ways, with those terms. I've learned, upon further study, that this is not a self-description of the Holy Spirit at all. But in fact, it is a description of the presence and power of the Spirit upon and in the earthly ministry and kingdom age extended to the kingdom age of the Lord Jesus. So Jesus is the focus of the Spirit's ministry. Having promised Messiah in Isaiah 7, behold a virgin shall conceive, in Isaiah 9, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Isaiah here presents Messiah, what he will look like, as it were, as he functions in his ministry. Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. That is, from the line of Jesse, through David, Solomon, and then to Christ. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, 
spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. I've struggled with knowing how to present this series because it seems as if the prophecy is that the Spirit of the Lord would manifest himself in the earthly ministry of Christ in three couplets. That is, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear. And then I looked at the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it was not at all clear in the grammar with that. And so I'm approaching each one of these individually. I hope that's because of growth with years, because there was a a day in which I would have taken the entire package as one unit But I don't know that we're in any particular hurry in getting through this series. And so we're going to look at them individually today. The spirit of wisdom in the life of Christ. Very short message. We're going to look at Luke 2 and see succinctly how that played out. The Gospel of Luke, we're done with Isaiah for today. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41, well, picking up verse 40, through the end of that chapter, verse 52. Luke 2, picking up to verse 40. Everyone there? Thumbs up if you're at Luke 2. Okay, thank you. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. Speaking of Christ. Strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned... The child, Jesus, tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances, family and friends. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, hearing both, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Know ye not that I must be about my father's business? And there, parenthetically, folks, is a good 
example of what Brother Pentamone preached two weeks ago, Brother Dan, that in his humanity, Christ only did the will of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. He did not ever exercise his own will, ever. It was always what he had heard of the Father. Here is an example of Jesus saying that uh, even as a 12-year-old. And they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This text is bookend. The bookends speak of the wisdom that Jesus had exercised. In verse 40, he was filled with wisdom. In verse 52, he increased in wisdom. And I find it to be an amazing thing that it says, and he increased in favor with God and man. How could that be? And yet the text tells us that it is. If you'll notice, between verses 40 and 43, many years had passed. For in verse 40, it says the child grew. And then in verse 43, it tells us that the child Jesus tarried in Jerusalem. How do we know many years had passed? Because of the word used. In verse 40, the word child is a small one, a petite one, a little one, tiny. Probably even could be used in reference to a baby, a baby in arms even. That is not the case in verse 43, not the word at all. That is a learner. That is one who is growing. Hence the uh, idea here of him being uh, 12 Year, not the idea, but it's stating him being 12 years old in verse uh, 42. And so a number of years had passed in that time. And he had changed, obviously. He, he had changed uh, greatly from being an infant in arms to now actually carrying himself, kind of starting to carry himself in life as a 12-year-old not a lot of supervision, not a lot of oversight, as we can see that they could leave and not even recognize for a while that he was not with them. What else do we see? We see something very pronounced, parents and grandparents, something very pronounced. Maybe it's understated, but it is there. And that is how devoted Joseph and Mary were to the Lord. Look at at what their custom was in verse 41. Now his parents, knowing that they had the God-man in their midst, knowing they had responsibility for him, the angels had communicated that to Joseph and Mary, and yet they, as their custom was, honored the sacrificial system from the heart, bringing an offering to Jerusalem. And they were living where? Nazareth. That's quite a trek. 
That is quite a, that's quite a drive from Galilee up north down to Jerusalem every year with this entourage of family and friends, and they did it with the right heart attitude. Um, everything would indicate that. We see that they were devoted to uh, Israel's God. What's more, we can see that they fully trusted Jesus, which means that there was training that had gone on, instruction, obviously, because Jesus was human and he was trained. He learned. He grew in knowledge. That's an amazing thing to me, that uh, he, he did not access his divine attributes of omniscience but actually labored and went through the effort of acquiring knowledge. Why did he do that? So that he would be perfectly able to represent you in his sacrifice, to take your place, fulfilling the law completely. You say, well, what, what law did he fulfill completely? Or Better, maybe better yet, what did Joseph and Mary do which resulted in Jesus growing in wisdom? Since he was not accessing his divine qualities in his humanity to accomplish that, what actually took place? Well, I'm convinced from what we see here that not only did Joseph and Mary were they diligent in keeping the Passover every year, you can be sure that they fulfilled every aspect of their responsibility before God. Not sinlessly, but like you and like me, had a heart to honor the Lord, to know the Lord, to follow the Lord, and to do so intentionally. What part of knowing the Lord. Well, certainly, the text in Deuteronomy called the Shema, that all Israel, Jewish families knew and followed, if they had any fear of the Lord at all. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So, you're to know the Word of God, you adults, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up, In other words, just through the normal course of living out life, of doing life together as a family, moms and dads are to be pouring scriptural truth into the hearts and minds of their little ones. Amen? That is clearly what this passage teaches. And they were obligated to keep that. And in fact, there's every evidence that Joseph and Mary did just that. And thou shalt bind them 
for a sign or a message upon thine hand. And, w- and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. That is phylacteries. That is that little box with uh, written out portions of Scripture that the men would take out and read during the course of the day and study. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Folks, the written word of God is inspired of the spirit of God and the spirit of wisdom rested upon the life of Christ, which quite simply yet quite profoundly means he had the constant recitation of the written word of God flowing through his life. That it, it's not something mystical or magical. or It is the day in, day out under, knowledge, understanding of, application of, obedience toward what the word of God said. And so when the spirit of wisdom rested upon him, to the greatest degree, that means, and that came about, because he had the knowledge of the word of God in his mind and the desire in his soul to obey. That began as an infant. Certainly it did with Joseph and Mary to the degree that at age 12, with a city teeming with people, just packed during Passover week and weekend, Jesus could be out on his own as a 12-year-old because young people, trust was ironclad and it had been developed since he was old enough to respond to a directive from mommy and daddy and had been built every day since then to the degree that he was almost functioning as an adult. Oh, they did grow concerned after a while that he didn't come for dinner. And so they went looking for him. The word of God, the recitation, the reciting of the word of God in the mind of Christ brought about wisdom. So what is biblical wisdom? I've often described it as the proper application of knowledge consistent with the will and word of God. It's having the knowledge and now making application, which is exactly what he did in in the temple with the elders, the, the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees possibly gathered around in the temple and he was left there and for hours on end they would ask one another questions and you know that he was the epitome of respect and showing respect and deference and yet filled with wisdom because he knew the word of God through and through to the degree that they were simply blown away. He lived his life under the control of the spirit of of wisdom. Now, what's the proof of that? I don't want to just say it, and you believe it for the sake of believing it. 
Well, in the earthly ministry of Christ, and you can look at the Gospels in the book of Acts, no less than 24 different Old Testament books were quoted by Jesus. You remember, certainly you remember, when it said time and time again, it is written. And it's as if what the prophet said. And in the writings of Moses. And in the writings and in the Psalms. And over and over again, scores and scores of times in the Gospels, Jesus is quoting. And it wasn't that he said, somebody get me the scroll and let me look this up. There may have been that. We don't have any indication of that. But he had it committed to memory. In other words, it was a discipline. And as he continued to grow in that, the spirit of wisdom was resting upon him. The four gospels record him saying, it is written time and time again. In fact, after, soon after his resurrection, Jesus encountered a couple of men on the road going to the city of Emmaus. You'll remember that. And in Luke 24, 27, look at this. It says, and beginning, he, he encountered them. The resurrection had taken place. They were wondering about these things. And he says, and beginning at Moses and the prophets. So going back to Genesis, do you think he went back to Genesis 3? Where it says, and the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It, there's no reason to think otherwise. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, you see the word here, he expounded. You've heard me use, and preachers use the word hermeneutics. Have you heard that term? Hermeneutics? That's the word in the Greek New Testament. And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he opened up, he exposed unto them, those to whom he was, with whom he was sharing, in all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so he sat down with them possibly for hours. And and the spirit of wisdom flowed through him because the spirit of wisdom in the life of Christ is in fact the spirit-inspired word of God flowing through his being. Harold Wilmington, professor of Liberty University, don't know if he's still living, maybe, wrote this. It has been estimated that over one-tenth of Jesus' recorded New Testament words were taken from the Old Testament. In the four Gospels, 180 of the 1800 verses that report his discourses are either Old Testament quotes or Old Testament allusions. Now, if that's even close to an accurate assessment, and it certainly is close, if not in fact accurate, it means that Jesus lived and and breathed and drank and ate the written word of God, so much so that it flowed through his being and that spirit of wisdom characterized him. That is who he was. 
Here's the practical lesson for us. If Jesus, the God-man, lived under the control of the spirit of wisdom, generated by the spirit-inspired written word of God, if he did that, and he did, to the degree that he grew in favor with God and man, oh my, how much more do I need that in my life? Amen. How much more do I need that? Who, who, who has been dead in trespasses and sins and lived a soiled, depraved life for the first 20 years, at least by way of my testimony, and still struggle with temptation and laziness and irritation and, and impatience and on and still do. And yet, I know the Spirit-inspired written word. And I know of the need for it to be flushing through my being so that I too may walk in his wisdom. I don't want to walk in foolishness, amen? I don't want to be a fool in this life. I want to leave this world having made a difference for those who know me to have said and be able to say, he walked in God's wisdom. There's only one way that's going to happen, and that is to humbly and genuinely and intentionally take in the Word of God and let it flow through my being, changing me moment by moment, day after day. And the same is needed for you. God's Word filled the heart of Christ. And Jesus said that would happen with his followers devoted to him. In fact, it says in John 15 and verse 26, when the Comforter is come, the Spirit of God, whom I'll send unto you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. And so did, did, did that happen? Oh my, the four gospels were written. The book of Acts was written after Jesus said this. All the epistles were written. And the apocalypse, the unveiling of Christ in the book of Revelation was written. Yes, the Spirit of God did speak of him. All of the New Testament directs us to one point, and that is Christ is Lord. Do you know him? And so the wisdom from the word is the need in this hour. John 16, verses 13 through 15. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine 
and shall show it unto you. He's going to reveal Christ, who is the personification of wisdom. And we'll be given his word, which we have been. And I'm obliged to read it, to discern it, understand it in context, get help where needed. It's interesting. Jesus didn't, turned out, didn't need any help understanding it, but in his humanity, that had been explained to him every step of the way. What great parents Joseph and Mary were in diligently teaching him. Parents, we have a great resource here at this local church. If I was a parent of, uh, of young children, and I lived in the greater Kansas City area, you know where I'd go to church. <laughs> I'd go to a church that truly revered the Word of God. It, it wasn't, I, I wouldn't go somewhere that it was entertainment. I wouldn't go somewhere where the six-year-old thought it, it was, uh, it was uh, part and parcel of, of the package to have fun. Or that, that's not what is needed. In the, there's all kinds of fun out there in the world. If, you want to, if, you, if fun is what we're wanting to have. There's lots of dog and pony shows out there. But a local church must have the substantive teaching indoctrination from the written word of truth brought by the Spirit of God through men that was used in the life of the God-man to let the spirit of wisdom settle upon him. Now, that's what a local church ought to be about. And I'm thankful that week in, week out, the word of God, it, while I was gone, it didn't, doesn't take me. It didn't require me. The four men who filled this pulpit in the last two weeks, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I even had one little scintilla of thought when listening to what was shared that was anything other than, that's right, that's right, that's truth, that's, that's orthodox, that's powerful, that's life-changing. Because each one did not presume to be his own authority, Brother Ken. But the Word of God and what it says that is how Jesus was raised. The spirit of wisdom settled upon him. Is your life characterized in that way?